resistance points show up on both sides. And what I've found is that it's not only working with the leaders so they get enlightened and they give people empowerment. Sometimes it has to do with people sort of being used to uh, complaining, mm. uh, you know, not that these are losers and slackers or whatever, but it's like, look, as I say in the book, it's a whole lot easier to be in the stands talking about the yeah, game as opposed to <laughs> the court sweating your butt off, right? Yeah, and course, making it course. happen. Welcome to the Beyond Success Podcast, a collection of conversations with the best business minds, captains of industry, and entrepreneurs in the world. Learn what their journey has taught them, how they applied the lessons they learned and ultimately created six, seven, and even eight-figure businesses. We can't create successful businesses by ourselves. So sit back and let the Beyond Success Podcast be your mentor. Now, here's your host, author, entrepreneur, public speaker, and master money manifester, Daniel Mangana. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Beyond Success podcast. I'm your host, Dan Mangina. I'm here with a good friend of mine now, Amir. I got the opportunity to be on his podcast. Was it last year now? Time's like, yeah, far, yeah. I think, I think it was, it was last year. late last year. Yeah, yeah <laughs> late last year. Um, I'm really excited to get you guys, um, get you guys in this virtual room with him. He wrote a very powerful book called Transformative Leader. Um, I, I actually, it's one of those books that, it's a textbook with a soul to it. Okay, guys, so you can you can go through it, you can make your notes, you can actually go almost on a syllabus on how to be a more empowered, expansive leader, whether it's in your business, in your life, in corporation, wherever it is that you're bringing leadership to the forefront. Um, but it does so in a way that feels like you're in the room with him, actually learning from him and learning with him and from his experiences too. So we'd love to talk about that, what he's doing in the world. Without further ado, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit and do a much better job of me letting the people know who you are and what you do. Thank you so much, Dan. It's, it's a pleasure to be with you again. I enjoyed our conversation on my podcast and I'm really happy to be here. Uh, so yeah, I, I'll just give a, a brief uh, history on, on myself. So I grew up in Iran. I came to the States when I was 16 years old uh, on my own and uh, essentially um, you know, started going to school and, and so on and so forth and ended up with a master's in mechanical engineering and started in the corporate world uh, with Procter & Gamble. I was with Procter & Gamble for about 19 years, uh, worked here in the States, uh, five years in Thailand, then back to the States, three years in Germany, different parts of the world, different experiences. And during that whole time, I was with uh, basically work, working on uh, manufacturing and supply chain. And in fact, afterwards, I went to another company, Sunny Delight, where I was the plant manager. So uh, for about uh, you know 27 years or so, I was in manufacturing and supply chain, but very early on in my career, I discovered that my real passion is empowering and energizing people and really organizational dynamics, understanding those and all of that. So went back and you know got my MBA in organizational uh, development. Um, and uh, the last part of my corporate career was with Campbell Soup uh, here in the States for the last four years. I didn't really have a job in a plant. That was the only time... <clears throat> where I didn't have a job in a plant. My job was to work with several locations to coach their leaders and the rest of the organization on uh, becoming a high-performance organization. And then about six years ago, we started the Ganad Group. Uh, my daughter, the entrepreneur in the family, sort of um, you know, 
enticed me and or in some cases kicked my butt into <laughs> you know publishing the book the transformative leader she took care of most of it i did the writing but uh, she owns more more of the book than i do <laughs> uh, and then so we started the ganad group where we guide leaders in creating extraordinary cultures that deliver breakthrough results and unprecedented fulfillment mm. uh, and so it's me my wife and uh, both kids my son and my daughter uh, so Beautiful. that's that's why true family business <laughs> yes yes and even the fact that you were able to because I mean family dynamics in business are not always easy I've got some entrepreneurial stuff I do with my brother some with my sister some over the years with dad and stuff like that it's it's not I think that's one of the most difficult dynamics <laughs> to marshal it is in an entrepreneurial endeavor it is. And, and you know, Dan, for, for some reason, I uh, have had a lot of clients, actually, who are either family businesses mm-hmm. uh, who are sort of growing or small businesses that feel like a family. And now they've grown beyond their systems and capabilities. And, and the dynamic that shows up, you're absolutely right, is that if you're working with strangers or whatever, it's like, OK, you work through things. But when you have family members or really close friends, then there's this element of there's so much at stake, you know, do mm. I really want to bring this up? And, and so conflict gets a little trickier. Mm. The good side of that, though, is that I think if you have that relationship down, you know, as, as, a, as a foundation, mm-hmm. if you figure it out, if you figure out how to work through the, the conflicts and work together, then it is fantastic. So mm. it really is very rewarding. It's challenging, mm-hmm. but it's also very, very rewarding. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Yeah. So I've actually read through the book um, and got a lot from it. I'm actually going to do another sweep through it, and then I've got it on the schedule to to to, to pop on the Wednesday show because this was the first run through was kind of getting to grips with it. I'd like to go through and actually get the notepad out, ask some of the questions, answer some of those questions a bit more deeply, and really take my time going back through it again. Um, but what are some of the key ideas that you really wanted to communicate in that book? You know, then the book uh, is essentially uh, uh, has two parts. The first part, the first, uh, I would say, one third of the book has to do with sort of uh, describing what a high performance organization looks like, or more Mm -hmm. specifically, what I talk about a high commitment culture, Mm -hmm. because everybody wants to be a high performance organization, Mm -hmm. uh, but the process of becoming one Mm -hmm. involves creating a high commitment culture. So I describe sort of the 34 uh, different dimensions of a high commitment culture versus a traditional culture. Then I go into the the mindset uh, that leaders need to have and Mm -hmm. and what does it take to actually create those kinds of cultures. So -hmm. that's the first one third of the book. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the the next uh, sort of two thirds is uh, 21 point lessons that not only apply in business, but in life. These are mm-hmm. life lessons that just happen to also apply in business. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and for every one point lesson, you know, it's every one of them, as you know, is only about three or four pages mm-hmm. long. So I share a, a, a lesson sometimes, you know, in most cases, 
my own life stories, yep. mm-hmm. my experience with it. And, uh, you know, I attempt a, a little bit of humor in there. <laughs> you pull it off every now and then. Sometimes don't it might go under the radar, but I try it anyway. Uh, but then at the end, I, I basically uh, not only kind of give you a bit of a summary, but also give you some reflection questions uh, because the the struggle that I had, to be honest, in writing this book was that, you know, I, I'm used to sort of interacting with my audience and so on and so forth. So I didn't want to come across like, well, I have the answers and you go do this and your life will be good. So we found kind of a happy medium approach here in that every lesson at the end has questions that will cause you to sort of uh, reflect and say, how does this apply to me? And then mm-hmm. I make a suggestion in terms of actions that you might want to take. So that's the the, the last part of the book, the, the mm. 21 point lessons. Amazing, amazing. Yeah. Um, as you've been working with people with these um, more intimate cultures, whether it's family or small small business, like you said, yeah. what are some of the ways that you find these ideas um, finding resistance being implemented? Because I mean, again, if you've got a family business, for example, where you've got a matriarch or patriarch, and you've got, you know subordinates that might be children or cousins or even other siblings, when you're coming in and saying, hey, matriarch or patriarch, yeah, that might work in a home. But when we're talking about a business where you're going to start you know, going out and being in the world, here are some changes as a leader that you may find yourself needing to implement. Where are some of those resistance points that people that, you, that you've witnessed people coming up against? Yeah, you bring up an excellent point because these dynamics show up, right? And mm-hmm. and, and it's actually in the resistance points show up on both sides. And uh-huh. what I've found is that it's not only working with the leaders so they get enlightened and they give people empowerment. Sometimes it has to do with people sort of being used to uh, complaining, mm. uh, you know, not that these are losers and slackers or whatever, but it's like, look, as I say in the book, it's a whole lot easier to be in the stands talking about the yeah, game as opposed <laughs> to being on the court sweating your butt off, right? Yeah, of and course, making of it course. happen. So sometimes it's kind of a, uh, you know, on, on both sides, we're, we're dealing with this. So uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give you from, from both uh, sides of this, the resistance point. So leaders, I find that, you know, whether they're found, founders, first generation founders or owners or whatever, they uh, sometimes sort of treat people as if they're children. Right. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, I, I, I know you, you have a, a baby. Mm-hmm. Mine are 31 and 32 now. Yeah. Right. So they've gone through the baby. But I remember, you know, when they were babies, they had no authority, mm-hmm. but they had no responsibility. I took care of them. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, but I, but they better do what I said as well. Like when yeah. they were little babies, kids. Mm-hmm. Now that they're adults, we have an adult business deal uh, sort of experience together, you know, Mm -hmm. in in our business, they run the business and so on and so forth. So everybody has responsibilities and they have Mm -hmm. certain authority that goes with that. Mm -hmm. But in the middle there, Mm -hmm. those adolescent years, if you Mm -hmm. will, there was a, a little bit of something going on, which you may be able to sort of translate into businesses. I see this in businesses all the time. Mm-hmm. So I, as a parent, wanted them to take responsibility, mm-hmm. but wouldn't didn't want to give them the authority. Authority. Uh... But they, as teenagers, wanted the authority, didn't but they the didn't want the responsibility. <laughs> you see. And so, what I actually work with organizations on is to say, look, 
let's not have a parent-child relationship with each other. Let's move mm-hmm. into this adult business deal where, mm-hmm. yes, you relinquish some of your respons- your authority. Um, yeah, and you yes, you guys take on some responsibility, right? Mm. And, and so we don't continue to perpetuate this thing of people complaining about their bosses and the bosses saying, oh, these people don't take initiative and things like that. So mm. that's a, a big part of it. And of course, I'll just mention one other uh, resistance point, and that is when it comes to conflict, when it comes to saying, okay, I'm willing to take responsibility, but look, and I just don't even know how to deal with this because how do you go to your boss and say, I disagree with you and all that, you know, last time I did that five years ago, this is what happened, so on and so Mm -hmm. forth. And it's like, everybody's got to take responsibility. If you are 100% committed as opposed to 50-50, as I you know, describe in the book, then you're going to take responsibility for initiating those conversations and you know, possibly every now and then stumbling a little bit, but you grow in the process. So those are the, mm. a couple of points that I work with organizations on. Amazing, amazing. So I, I hadn't even thought about that one because it's true, responsibility, and authority, there needs to be a balance between the two, because one without the other, it's like when I'm speaking to people about you know, taking on authority, being the authority, the author and creator of their own life, yeah, there's a responsibility element to that. So Absolutely. we can't be complaining about things and passing the buck and then saying, oh, but I'm the author and creator of my life. It, it doesn't, it doesn't they, don't, they don't go together. It just, it just doesn't work. Yeah. That's really powerful. That's really powerful. Yeah. You know, and if you want somebody to take initiative and make some things happen, you've got to give them a little bit of decision making room mm. and you got to make sure that they have the right information mm-hmm. uh, because otherwise, uh, you know, you, you, the bosses are complaining about people not taking initiative when in fact mm-hmm. the p- people are kind of looking at the bosses saying, you know, if they ever kind of gave me a little bit of space and everybody's waiting something. for somebody else and we got to mm, break that cycle i'm with you so creating a culture where everybody has the power to actually step up and actually contribute to the culture versus waiting for someone else to give them something to be able to do in the culture right and, and you know that doesn't mean that the you know this culture is a, a democracy and everybody gets to say uh, something about everything that's happening no mm-hmm. it just means that we are clear that the decision making authority and and the responsibilities uh, are basically with different people and the boss doesn't own it all mm-hmm. you know i i had in this plant that i talk about in the book that we turned around from the worst to the best the way we did it was, I mean, it all started with me recognizing that there are so many topics that I pretty much suck at. Like, I am not really good at this. So look, Joe, are you willing to take this on? Sally, are you willing to take that? And then we we followed their direction. Right? Mm-hmm. So they may not have been the top person in the plant, but they had the best information. They were the ones who made the decisions and we supported them. Mm-hmm. Again, this comes back to... Um, even raising kids, right? Because there has to be some input from the person who's being impacted by the experience. There has to be some input by the person who's on the ground. That's right. You know, Um, me telling my stepdaughter, for example, she's five and a half, me telling her what she should be doing at school with her friends isn't going to work if I haven't got enough information. Whereas resourcing her to make effective decisions with what she's doing at school is actually probably going to have a more impactful out, outcome. Um, right. 
Oh, that's really, really, I love the simplicity of these ideas as well. It's just, just let the person who knows what they're doing be the person who says what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's so straightforward. We don't have to overcomplicate it. And that's yeah. the thing is like sometimes when we sort of hear these simple answers, we're like, no, 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 it's got to be more complicated than that. There's got to be some research and there's got to be a formula. There's got No, listen, get into people's world. Mm-hmm. And, and basically one of the best ways, I think, is to mm-hmm. kind of figure out how to uh, reach the, the hearts and minds of people is kind of think about yourself. Like our styles are different. Now, mm-hmm. I'm not suggesting that you ought to treat everybody in the same style that you mm-hmm. prefer. But at the end of the day, if you would like to be put in charge of your own destiny, if you would like to have some decision-making room, chances are other people want that too. So then mm-hmm. figure out what is their preferred style? What is their approach? And serve it up to them that way. That's it. Hmm. You know? Hmm. I love that. And how often do we overcomplicate the issue by trying to look for the smartest way to do things, trying to be Johnny Big Socks with how we're doing things versus more of this integrative approach where we allow everybody to contribute but have boundaries around that contribution because that can also be a pitfall, right? Taking information from everyone can also get confusing. Whereas, okay, here's a line of communication for us to communicate ideas and for you to have clear boundaries on where your authority lies for you to go and execute without needing necessarily to run things up the pole. But there's still be some accountability for me as the leader as to what you're going off to do. Yeah. And, you know, this this does happen very often. And, and I've worked with I work right now with a variety of businesses, businesses that are multinationals, you know, hundreds of thousands of people and businesses that literally have 200 employees and, you know, small businesses. And what happens is, you know, I've worked with some of those for some of those large corporations as an employee as well. And I know how it goes. You know, you come up with something that really works and then you try to say, OK, now we got to take this out there globally. So we've got to really put this in these guidebooks and we've got to come up with these forms and all of this. And what ends up happening is that somewhere along the way, uh, you know, you lose the spirit of it and it becomes Mm -hmm. a bunch of rules and a bunch Mm -hmm. of sort of processes that where you check the box and, and people miss the, the simplicity of the message that made that whole thing work to begin with. Because now they're like, okay, we got to do this, then we got to do this. How do you do this? And they don't really get the intent of it. And, and so I see this right now with, with a lot of corporations, uh, especially the large ones, in that they, they got this huge, you know, uh, strategy development and deployment. They got this, they're checking all the boxes, but nobody's looking to say, okay, guys, are we really reaching, like we're throwing a bunch of stuff at people, but have we taken an opportunity to talk to somebody and say, hey, what do you, when you hear all this stuff, what, what do you, what do you hear? What are your concerns? Do you think that's going to work? Mm-hmm. And, and, but the major objection that people might have is like, okay, well, you know, we can do that if it was a mom and pop shop, but we got a hundred thousand people. Listen, <laughs> you know, I, I get it. But, mm-hmm. but if you think about the, uh, the, uh, you know, the compound effect of this, mm-hmm. If you are able to reach 10 people and each of them is willing to reach 10 people, like literally within a few weeks, Mm. you've got 100,000 people who have been spoken to like by somebody, a live person (laughs) to Mm -hmm. get their ideas. So I don't want to oversimplify it and I I get it, but I think sometimes more often than not, we overcomplicate. Yeah. 
But life isn't really simple or really complicated. It's somewhere in the middle. And maybe some instances drift off to the simple and drift off to the complicated. But generally speaking, it, I found personally, uh, it's a mix of situations that kind of sit in the middle of being a little bit complex, having some simple elements, but our perspectives can throw it listen to the illusion that it's too complicated or it's too easy and that stops us moving forward. Yeah, and, and I think it was Einstein who said everything must be as simple as possible, but not simpler. Yeah. Right? <laughs> it makes so much sense because I also see the other side. You know, I, I get on social media and I see that people kind of pontificate and, and, and offer a very simple solution for, let's just say, the issue of race relations that is mm-hmm. a very complicated matter that you cannot just kind of look on the surface and offer a very simple solution. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, for every problem, there is a simple solution solution that is wrong. Okay, so you got to really think about it. And in some cases, you've got to really delve into sort of the complexity. And I get that. But a lot of times, you know, what it takes for a person who comes to work and wants to do a good job, it takes a very simple kind of approach of making sure that they feel heard, uh, so that they go from this thing of doing their eight and hitting the gate, if you will, Mm -hmm. you know, being button pushers for eight hours all the way to, you know, saying, I'm not here just to comply with your requests. I'm here to give it my all. I want, I'm here for commitment, commitment to offer Mm -hmm. my commitment. You know, it's not complicated what it takes to actually turn that on in people. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Inspiring them to want to be a part of what's going on, to want to contribute to something, yes. to want to be filled up by it also. So there's a symbiotic relationship between them and the organism that they're in, which is the business itself. Absolutely. You know, what we used to call, uh, you know, when I worked for uh, Procter & Gamble, we had this um, idea that we called common objectives. In other mm-hmm. words, you know, if, when you come to work, we shouldn't put you in a position where you're every day deciding whether you should do what's right for the company or what's right for you. Mm-hmm. You know, and if we create these common objectives, doing what's right for the company is right for you. So we just kind of ride on the coattail of people's uh, natural desire to to grow and to learn and to contribute and be part of something big. Mm. And, and the team uh, prospers as a result mm-hmm. of that. And this could also inform even in the... Um the human resources process, when you've got that clarity of what those common objectives are, then in the hiring process, we can, you know, is this your objective too? Is this something that you want to be a part of? Is this a culture that you want to contribute to? And for a, a culture you want to contribute to you and what you're doing going forward, if not, move them on. Someone may look great on paper based on having the right qualifications and so on and so forth. Yeah. But someone that, you know, energetically is a match for what you're trying to create will add to the common field of what's being created and expand the organization, I think. Yeah. And I think the flip side of that is true as well. If you're a person who's looking for a job, it's Mm -hmm. like, you know, it's, and I get it that sometimes, you know, people kind of get into this desperate situation to take whatever comes their way. Mm -hmm. And I get Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think we are all better served if we are going for an interview, also kind of looking at does, do my needs and this company's needs and values and all of this Mm -hmm. line up. Mm -hmm. So on both sides, really creating those common objectives uh, and not necessarily just looking to, uh, again, put a warm body in, in, mm-hmm. a, in a job and only mm-hmm. to find out, you know, 18 months later that, ah, this person is not really a good fit or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And this, I think it's something to the lack and abundance mentality that we're approaching that from both sides of the coin also 
fan got a position, oh my God, I need to get it before someone else gets them or this person's great, I need to get them so someone else doesn't get them. Then I'm coming at that from an energy of like, that's not going to contribute expansively to my organisation. I need to get this job, I need to do blah, blah, blah. Well, the person that you've filled in that, you know, put that, that warm body you put in place, well, if they're not, there's an opportunity cost of not having the person that is going to be more online that you would have from a place of abundance held out and waited for. If they're not a fit, then at some point they're going to go. All the money that you've invested in time and energy and training them and bringing them into the culture, you're going to have to repeat anyway, and it's not even going to be a great fit. But when you're coming at this from, I know my person's there. I know that the person exists of the seven and a half or eight billion people in the world. The person who's going to be a fit to what we're doing, who's going to add to this that we can pour into also, it's just a different energy, I think, uh, a different approach, a different mindset. And operationally, strategically, physically, it's going to show up differently also. You're so right. And, and you know, if I, I uh, try to practice that uh, now. I mean, I, I, won't say, I won't say I'm perfect at it, but this is something that every chance I get, I try to practice as a consultant. Uh, mm-hmm. Because, you know, when I offer uh, potential you know, clients uh, a, um, a free uh, discovery call, my mm-hmm. intention is not to go into discovery. The discovery call say, okay, how can I sell these people? On <laughs> Honestly, I mean, my, me? <laughs> my, my intention is to truly see if there is a match between mm. what I bring and what they need. And in mm-hmm. many cases, uh, there isn't, mm-hmm. you know, you know, so, so they saw something on my website. They like it. And now we talk I'm like, you know what, what you're looking for. I'm not really the right person for. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, they kind of insist and say, no, 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 you are the right person. In some cases, I don't see the match on their side because, mm-hmm. for instance, if somebody is trying to just bring me in to dip their people in something and fix them or something, <laughs> and I fail to convince them in the process, in the discovery process, that no, we got to also do some work with leadership, mm-hmm. then, you know, I basically respectfully let them know that this is not going to really be a uh, a, a good engagement for us. There's going mm-hmm. to be a waste of your money <laughs> and my time. <laughs> so, That's hilarious. But, but knowing that the right clients are there, knowing that the right yes. employers and the right employees are there, mm-hmm. this abundance mentality, man, you, you hit the nail on the head. It makes yeah. such a difference. I have the same thing, you know, um, I've had people, you know, that want to do one-on-one stuff with me and, I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't allow people to come off the bat. You can't do one-on-one through my website. If you come into our community, you do one of our programs, and I see you're putting in the work and I see you're committed, then I'll allow you to come and spend the money to work with me one-on-one. What do you mean? I've got the money here. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, <laughs> but I don't know. <laughs> That's right. It's, it's, for me, it's knowing that I don't have to chase after every dollar. Yeah but the right people are there. Also, even the sales process, if you want to call it that, is very difficult because it's not a sales process. Like you said, it's, we're having a call, we're going to see if we're a fit. Are we a fit? Yeah, okay. Then you're going to work with me or you're not. And if you don't, then someone else is. It's like, I'm not, hey, <laughs> do you need some services? <laughs> it's like, right, right. it's just an icky way to work. And we've even had marketing people that have tried to have this approach. Yeah, we're going to go in people's direct messages and it's like, ah, it doesn't really work for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like we, we create the space for us to be able to connect and see if we work together. And if we do, then we see where the relationship goes and at some point maybe we'll advance it. But it feels better 
I think it just feels better to work that way. Yeah, it, it makes so much sense. And especially like in, in my line of work, uh, it, it's not, you know, I know that the, the magic doesn't happen by me sort of downloading some stuff in workshops or whatever. The magic mm. happens between those conversations. So we, we mm. have a workshop and then the organization does some work with that. And then we come back and revisit and then build on it. Mm-hmm. And if I know that, you know, a client is just kind of bringing me in to kind of check the box, Honestly, yeah, you know, it'll be it'll be okay, it'll be good, but it won't be extraordinary. And I'm not in the business of good stuff. I'm busy, mm. I'm in at this point in my life, like I want to create something extraordinary for my clients. So it's like, look, you know what? Uh, that's that's where we fall short in that mm. if you're not truly committed uh, to doing the work, uh, then you know, it's just not a good match. Mm. Love it, love it. There's one more topic that I wanted to um, just to quickly ask your insights on before we start to sort of bring this home. And that's your own journey moving from corporate America into entrepreneurship, doing it in such an interesting dynamic with the family. What are some of the things that supported you in making that transition, especially in a, you know, I think, right, we're still mid pandemic here, August 2021, uh, with variants and such delights. And, you know, there's a lot of... Uh, a lot of uncertainty and people are looking at entrepreneurship and maybe navigating away from being dependent on an employer. Like what are some things that supported you or some things that you even came up against and making that transition? Yeah. So, uh, you know, for, for me, it, it uh, definitely helped that for the, the, you know, previous, you know, before I left uh, my corporate uh, role for, you know, the 20 some odd years, I'd really zeroed in on the work that I do right now. So I was kind mm. of an internal consultant, if you will, to companies that I was working for. And, and so I, I really developed a passion and skill uh, in terms of what I was bringing. Mm. And uh, the other thing, though, is that, you know, I always tell people, I said, listen, you, you if, if you're the kind of person who's willing to take a leap of faith, really great. You know, for me, that wasn't uh, the approach that I took. I instead built a bridge so I could, that that final hop wasn't like a leap of faith. So mm-hmm. I'm going to leave and see what happens. No, for the last few years that I was with, uh, you know, in the corporate world, I started giving talks. I would take vacation days and I would do the work that I'm doing. In many cases, I did it for free, but I built a, a following and so on and so forth, a big network and, and all of that. So by the time I left, I felt that I had a, there were, I didn't just feel it. I knew that there were a lot of people asking me, Hey, can you, do you do this for, uh, for a fee? Can you come and speak? And so there was Mm -hmm. a lot of demand, but the final thing I will say, and by the way, I've written a blog post. I'll send you a a link if you want to include it about like 14 different things that I suggest to people who want to leave a full-time job and go into their own uh, career. Yeah. Yeah, I've got a blog post. We'll pop that in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I'll, I'll send that to you. I think a lot of people who've approached me have said, hey, you know, uh, you seem to have really made this happen very smoothly. How did you do it? I, I finally, out of all the advice I was giving people, I wrote something down. And so I'll send that to you. But the final thing I'll mention is that from a financial perspective, you know, we talked about 
an abundance mentality and that sort of thing. And it's so much easier if you have a little bit of a cushion between mm-hmm. you and life, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I call that a love cushion. I call yeah, that a love cushion. What we did was we kind of built up that emergency fund and we said, look, you know, we're not going to go into this thing being totally desperate. We reduced some of our expenses. We, mm-hmm. uh, you know, began to save some money to say, look, you know, for this period of time for us, it was at least a year to say, okay, you know what? If we get no business, we're okay. And that way we're not desperately trying to do Mm. whatever. And that helped us in so many ways in that not only did we have an abundance mentality approaching our clients, uh, but also it helped us continue to sort of raise our prices to the kind of value that we were bringing because at the mm-hmm. beginning when we started our prices were, were were lower but of course you know right now they're not as far as i know not unreasonable because we continue to get clients <laughs> uh, uh, but but, but i know a lot of people are paying <laughs> i know a lot of people who who basically are hesitant to do that because they don't want to lose business you know and for us we, we felt like look you know our clients are telling us we're bringing this kind of value so this is what we're going to ask for and and they keep coming so it, it all works so those mm-hmm. are just a few things i will mention uh, but again in the blog post i, I mentioned uh, like 11 other things <laughs> okay brilliant we'll make sure that we include this has been amazing thank you for hanging out with me today and and just allowing us to bathe in your wisdom and for the opportunity to connect again it's been it's been fabulous my pleasure Um, my pleasure Dan thank you so much for having me uh, best place for people to connect with you find out about what you're doing read the blog and so on and so forth yeah, so uh, the best place to go is the ganadgroup.com. So Ganad, G-H-A-N-N-A-D. Mm-hmm. And in case you don't remember my name and you're wondering what was that guy's name, you can go to whatwasthatguysname.com and it will bring you to my website as you, well. You so, got whatwasthatguysname.com. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. And we also have a, a, a leadership a membership community. It's, mm-hmm. it's at onthecourtleadership.com. So those are oh. places where you can find me. Beautiful. Well, we'll make sure we pop those in the show notes and I'll pop the, the link to my episode on your podcast too so people can get a flavor. Fantastic. Amazing. Well, guys, thanks for tuning in. Please do share this episode with someone who whose life can be touched and expanded by some of the things we discussed today. Be sure to go and check out uh, Amir's uh, podcast and check out that blog, especially if it's something that's going to serve you. Do support what he's doing uh, and allow it to fill you up. Until next time, keep dreaming with your eyes open. Remember, you can consciously choose a more abundant joyful purpose-driven life until then bye for now thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the beyond success podcast we hope that it has been of service to you for more information and to stay up to date with the latest from daniel mangana please head over to dreamwithdan.com we'll see you for the next one